0: This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you are listening to another episode of The Crowncast. And I feel like I've done this before. I feel like I've been very excited about this high-speed attacking football, and then somehow at the end of the game, I just end up feeling very meh about it. And here (laughs) to feel kind of meh for a 0-0 zero, zero draw, a nil nil if you will. Against DC United is Ewan. Hello Ewan. Yeah. Now then, how's it going? Uh well, it's it's meh, I'll be honest with you. There you go. I was <laughs> I was so excited the, the game started. I had family in the audience. My father had the opportunity to to come to one of uh, come to this particular game and it got to like 10 minutes into this match and I was like we're we're getting seven goals today. Like it might be Charlotte <laughs> scores seven and DC, DC scores zero. It might be flip flop. It might be three and four. It might be one and six. I don't know, but we're getting goals, and uh, and then and then we didn't get the goals, and that really just felt like a letdown. Uh, I mean, did you get a similar vibe <laughs> out of this, Ewan?
1: Yeah, yeah. That that first ten minutes, uh, we mentioned it. I said I was not expecting this to be as uh, as as kind of messy as it was, and then said you know. Maybe it'll settle down and it certainly settled down and, you know, almost settled down a little bit too much. It was almost like a bit of a sugar rush and then came down and crashed down to earth for the next 75 minutes. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, certainly certainly wouldn't have had many people predicting nil nil after about 10, 15 minutes. But, yeah, that's the way it went.
0: Yep, that that is the way football goes. And uh, we're going to talk about it, I think, as per usual, when we have these draws, we're going to do one crown, one card apiece you uh, and one are you good with that and two what you want to do first
1: yeah um happy with that happy with that um probably go with the, uh, everyone goes for the uh for the crown second to end on a positive so maybe we'll switch it up i'll go with the crowns first i like it end on a negative you and always <laughs> out here
0: bringing the people up um no yeah. you know sometimes it is good to switch it up I am going to let you take the first crown. Uh, who is your crown going to be, and why is it Brecht
1: Diagana? Well, yeah, there you go. Brecht Diagana. <laughs> exactly. I think this one, uh, yeah, this one's a little bit of a layup uh, in terms of giving out a crown. Um, unfortunately, we're only able to get 65 minutes from him today because still recovering from uh, coming back from an injury. Um, and with it being a hamstring as well, I believe that's one that you really have to manage. Um, We've obviously had the experience with Enzo without, so I'm happy that they were careful with it. Um, but yeah, the 65 minutes that he gave us were really, really positive. Um, the way the team set up that we've spoken about it before, it kind of high-pressing, putting midfielders up there in positions where maybe they're not as creative, but they are very good at doing high-intensity stuff uh, out of possession. So Brecht, his role especially, is really important to provide that creativity and provide that bit of quality like with a with a final pass or a through ball into an area to get a set up um and yeah m- like i'm pretty sure that all of the good stuff that we were able to put together whilst he was on the pitch uh, came from him whether it was him picking out the ball which then turned into a ball into the box whether it was him getting uh, involved in some of the earlier phases and just making things you know look way easier than they have done for basically this whole season in terms of build up play um, yeah, he's like a he's like a very cool drink of water in the midfield. Now he's very, you know, everything just looks a lot better with him in there. And I think one of the things that we'll touch on here is that as the game went on, deeper into the second half, and you'd expect us to be creating more chances as we chase the goal, we actually looked worse uh, as, as that game went on. Um, and we'll get into some of the reasons why. But I do think that one of the reasons was just simply him not being on the uh, on the pitch anymore. Um, so hopefully in these last few games he can get that fitness back and we can get 90 minutes out of him because yeah today you see all the quality that he has we need him on the pitch if we're going to be creating chances and ultimately scoring goals so yeah crown for him today i thought he was excellent yeah he was the best player
0: on the pitch i don't think he was the best player in charlotte fc i think he was the best player on the pitch and that includes christian benteke i did uh one of the things i asked coming into this game is we do not let them do anything stupid we don't let them hit us from half field. We don't let them hit a bicycle kick on us, and no. we did that. So, <laughs> I, it's uh, failure would not be the right term for any means. It was a, it was a draw, but uh, I am at least happy to say that. And a huge portion of what we did did run through Brecht. If Brant Bronico is sort of the player we've described as the engine. I, I don't think you can describe... I know it's it's an overused terminology, metaphor, whatever. Uh, English. English is hard. It's an overused <laughs> metaphor, but Brecht is the oil. It His ability to connect moving parts and make sure that everything is moving smoothly up that left side, which, because of his skill and his talent, has become the congested side, right? Players show you who's good. They move to the places they think they're going to get the ball. Where has Karol Truderski been since Brecht came into this team? He's been on the high left side where he knows the ball is going to transition through that midfield and he is going to get opportunities. And you know, I think he was a bit of a, a non-factor today, but Brecht, you can see how big of an impact he's had on this team when he came in. And we have seen games of half and half where he was there and then he wasn't there. We now have two examples of that and you have seen what the team has looked like with him and without him. And it's, it's a bit reductive to just say, use the eye test, right? Look at the field and see what's happening. See how the players move around him. See how the other team tries to defend him to get an understanding of how good this guy is. I will sum up my praise of Brecht by saying I saw him do something wrong in this game. And it wasn't even like a skill based thing he did wrong. He just got outrun. Uh, and Brecht is, do you know if he's 32, 31 off the top of your head, Ewan?
1: I think he's, I think he's 33. Um, is he 33? That could be wrong. Can I, I ask I, you to
0: get a confirmation for me on that really quick while I. Yeah, I was going to uh, say,
1: I was going to have a look at that and just double check it. Um, 30, yeah, 32. Sorry.
0: 32. He's 32 years old. So what we know about him is that when he is sprinting back to cover his defensive uh, fullback side, their winger was faster than him. That's it. That's the biggest thing that he did wrong in this game. And I'm sure we can go back and nitpick little things, but if his fatal flaw is that at 32 years old, when (laughs) he's covering his fullback, he's slower than the high-speed winger of the other team, like, what do you say about this guy? Where where do you poke holes in this guy's game? I, I think he's such a transform transformative player. I think the team fits him. I think he fits the team, and I think Christian Latanzio loves him. Uh, have have we beaten this to death? Is there any anything left to say?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I think maybe one more thing would be um, we've had um, midfielders who maybe aren't suited to those inside roles playing creatively. Uh, play there in those in the last few games with uh, Bronico and uh, Jones, and we've also got a stable of wingers who we saw come on in this game. Obviously, different, various, you know, in and out of form. Um, I think it would be interesting if we actually saw um, Brecht coming in and play in, in one of those midfield roles rather than out on the left, um, because that is his best position. That was the best position that he. Uh, that's when he did his best work with uh, Toulouse. So. Yeah, I just, I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility as we go into these last few games that maybe we see that change. So uh, yeah, maybe something to look out for there. Yep,
0: he's, he's a killer. Uh, I have to go and do my crown. And I am spoiled for choice because there were a couple of people who played, you know, sometimes we get games where it's like, everybody just sort of plays at the same level. And every now and then we get a game like this where we get five or six people who were just, you know, blew the roof off the place. Uh, not kidding. Check Google. It, it no longer has a roof. So well done to these guys. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Adilson Melanda, And I'm really, really sorry to all of the people who are yelling at me saying that I should be picking Enzo Capetti, who had a fantastic game. But I'm going to go with Adilson Milanda, And the reason is because I, I think I saw him transform in this game. He has traditionally been a big space player. He's a very young defender. He's got a lot of time to develop, and he's already probably the best defender in our team. Ewan, is that an unfair statement? No, that's that's all I'd say. Yeah, he's already the best defender in the team. He's a baby by defender standards. He is a big space player. If you give him the whole back end of the pitch, he will cover all of it. And now he's taking the ball. And I want to preface this. DC United made it easier... By not connecting any of their lines. There were giant holes in the midfield. But he picked up the ball and he stepped through that first line of their press into those giant holes in the midfield, and he did it regularly. So many times it was Adilson Molanda who was cutting out passes or who would get us out of trouble by almost pulling a Derrick Jones and just muscling his guy off and running past him. You know that like slow movement turn that Derek Jones is so good at that people can't seem to stop. <laughs> yeah. I swear I saw it like three or four times from Adilson Milanda today. And I didn't know he had that in his locker. And if he can take that that ability now, if he's got that big space back, and if he can be a threat to run the ball into the midfield and distribute from there he's starting to put the pieces together to be a really really killer defender uh, now he just needs to learn how to defend when we're like all crammed into our box in a
1: 442 low block yeah yeah it's it, he's he's funny with him he's got to learn like the the traditional center back things that you would have brought up 20s 20, 25 years ago that like you yeah. mentioned there just you know being a little bit better, being like directly physical against the man he's marking. Um, some of the stuff he's actually doing in the box, he could get a little bit better at. Uh, but everything that you mentioned in terms of the like evolved centre back, what they're asked to do in the new version of football now, which everyone wants to play, which is you know a high lot, playing with a high line, playing with uh, inverted fullbacks around you, which mean that you have to cover more space wide as well as um, as well as just directly behind you, one on one with a striker. Um, he he's got all that in his locker naturally just because of the athlete he is, and now he's getting more and more experience with the consistent playtime that he's got. He's getting a bit more confident at doing the stuff that you mentioned there, the bringing the ball out, bringing it past the first line of pressure. Um, it, it's an absolute cheat code if you can have a centre back who is a confident ball carrier against the first line of the press because it just makes everything else so much easier because you're taking out uh, a certain amount of, of what the opposition is trying to do to stop you from building up play. Just by the fact that we have one guy who is really confident on the ball, technically good enough and physically good enough to just stride right past you. And also is good enough on the ball to to pick out the right pass and, and get it where it needs to go. Um, whether that be to the midfield or directly to the winger, depending on what the opposition are doing. So yeah, we're, we're He's putting together in what's been obviously a strange season, which we talked about on Wednesday. um, He's putting together a kind of player of the season type season, uh, both in how good he's been generally and also just seeing the growth of him as a player has been really fun. So, like you say, our best defender, in my opinion, I don't think it's much of a debate. And today he was he showed why he was fantastic.
0: So I want to bounce something off you. And this is just, it's literally just popped into my head, so this isn't like a fine-tuned thought process yet. Yeah. Uh, I think he's really good at reading momentum. I think he's really, really good at, if he only has to track five or six people, not, you know, 20 in the box at one time, he's really good at reading who's got momentum in what direction and using it against them. It's sort of that Justin Mirum thing where Miram will like wait until people have momentum and then cut round them where they can't turn back. I'm starting to think I'm seeing it in Milanda, which would be amazing. And and if that is the case, I'm going to be keeping an eye on it. Has it looked like that to you or is that something that maybe we we watch for the next
1: ones? I mean, it's definitely something to keep an eye out um for these for these uh next few games and I do think it's something which he is good at at the moment because it's almost part of that skill set that you mentioned of what a defender needs to be good at when they are covering large amounts of space, because how, how do you get momentum as a, as a player? You, you get it because you're being given a lot of space to run into or you, you're finding space, whatever it may be. So the situations which Milanda finds himself defending a lot are players in a lot of space running with momentum. So yeah it has got to be part of his skill set to be good at reading that. And uh, yeah, kind of, you know, thank God that he is. (laughs) No kidding. I I do want to
0: go ahead and push on to uh, the cards. Before we do that, I am going to give a very brief bonus crown. Uh, Somewhere in the supporter section, (laughs) there is someone. I do not know if it is a he, she, they, uh, who was holding the Carolina Hooligans flag and they were putting in work. That flag was going, they were getting it. This is the standard by which all flag bearers from this point forward should be held. That flag was waving, it was amazing. So to whoever had the Carolina Hooligans flag, well done, you get a crown. Uh, Let's move on and I took a bonus. So I guess that means you get to pick your first card. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i guess so i mean it's it was funny this one today because um you know you mentioned that you were spoiled for choice with the uh with the crowns and yeah you know, with the cards it was a little bit tough because although it's a nil-nil and it's a disappointing result you know it, it was maybe a little bit hard to pick out one particular player who played absolutely awful in my opinion but um i can I, you know, help <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I think you have a few more selections than uh, than I do. But yeah, I I, I was disappointed um, with uh, with Brant Bronico in this game. Um, yeah. Almost a combination of a little bit disappointed with how he played, but also it may be less about him and it may just be about where we're at with the players that we have. Um, that you see him playing in that advanced role with Sviderski up ahead of him a little bit in the ten. And uh Breck Diagara playing to his left, and you, you just there's there's a technical level that you see from those guys playing those playmaker roles versus what Brandt is able to offer. and you just you, you get you get an understanding of the difference and you could see it in moments today just off instinct. you could see it in moments today, just based off those little areas where you don't get much space and your first touch has to be really, really good. and Brandt's was a little bit off. Just little instances like that where we've talked about Latanzio building this team as like this ultimate counterpress intense side, and Brant Bronico fits that very well out of possession, and he did well out of possession today. I will say that, but you do notice it when we have the ball that that is the payoff to get that stuff from a player like from, from a player like Brant Bronico. You are sacrificing that little bit of technical quality which you could get more of from someone else. So, it's a card for him, not almost not really his fault, I suppose, but just you you notice you're that in you're that too r- kind again too kind again you <laughs> yeah, I no, it's just um, I think it's it's a little bit of a case of this was one of those games where in the role that he's playing you can you can alter it as much as you want to suit his skill set, but if you're playing in that role, you're gonna be asked to make certain passes. And you're going to be asked to be really good in tight spaces. And it didn't quite work out for him today. So I just think that the ceiling of him playing that position is quite low. And yeah, he, he you noticed it in a game like today. Yeah, I'm going to, I, I
0: want to, and I have not, I probably should have, but this is supposed to be the reaction anyway. We'll do the stats on Wednesday. Um, I want to see what his personal XG was for this game because I think everyone would agree he probably had Charlotte's three best chances of the match and I don't know that he actually got any of them away I don't know he actually made contact with a shot at all and for a player in that position look I understand scuffing one I think at the MLS level you probably shouldn't be scuffing one but I understand an occasional scuff I think he should have had at least two shots on target and probably should have had at least one goal from his position. And I don't know that he even got a shot away. Now I might watch this back and he actually, you know, something really crazy happened. But you said we see the technical limit of Brant Bronico. And I think you're right. I mean, I think we have seen the technical ceiling of Brant Bronico. And it comes down for me to a little bit of the like, which came first, the chicken or the egg question. And that is, I have to give Brant credit because his engine and his perseverance and his drive and his vision of the field when he's off the ball is what got him into those situations, right? When he goes one-on-one off the deflected ball, the reason he's one-on-one is he was the only one who saw that shot and went, I should be moving. No one else on the field moved. The keeper didn't move. The defense didn't move. No one else on our attacking side moved. He saw that shot coming in, and he said, this could rebound. I'm moving. And guess what? It fell to him. So do you do you applaud him for, for that ability, for that vision, for that drive? Or do you then have to look at him and say, when you're one-on-one with the keeper, in clear and broad open daylight, you can't take 27 minutes to get the shot out from under your foot? And it frustrates me because I just feel like he's one of these players who if you could bump his technical level up two notches, he becomes an MLS killer. Like world killer, no. But an MLS killer. And and I worry that that he doesn't he doesn't have that technical level. Uh so a frustration out of me from Brant Bronico and we talked about him as one of the players who needs to have a big eight games if he wants to to solidify himself and continue to be a regular in this team and we saw both the very good and very bad out of him tonight any final thoughts you want to go to on him
1: yeah no just you mentioned there obviously he's someone that we said um he should be looking to have a big final eight games this season some of the other players that we mentioned in that it was like oh this guy getting an opportunity this player do we know what we have I think one thing you can say with Brandt is that even though he needs you know you want him to have a, a really good performance these last these last few games we are at the stage now where we do know what we have and I feel like we've known what we have with him for a little while and it's not going to be a case of going into the off season thinking well he could be this he could be that should we give him more time should we we know what we have so the decision should almost already be made on whether we want to upgrade that position or whether we uh, we're happy to kind of stick with it so uh yeah i think although yeah it's going to be a massive last eight games for him we kind of understand what we have with him at this stage in in the different roles that he can play
0: yeah i would i would agree with that i'm going to go on to uh my card and my card is going to be tough for me to utter Uh, and it's going to be ben bender and i am going to say that i'm giving a card to ben bender in full knowledge that Kamil Yushviak came on in his position and looked way worse. But Kamil wasn't on, in my opinion, long enough to, to earn a card or a crown. I, I think it's really hard to, unless somebody does something really outstanding, it's hard to give that, that level of statement to somebody who comes on late as a sub. And to play the uh, did not get to play next to Diagra attacks. Yes, and did not <laughs> get to play next to Brecht Diagana oh god that guy is so good okay uh i this is a harsh card to bender i think he did a lot of things in this game well i think he did the build-up well i clearly think we were targeting long crosses to the back post i don't necessarily know why but everyone who went out to that side was hitting long crosses to the back post so it was clearly a part of the game plan i think he did that fine dc was just willing to leave him one-on-one And I really mean this, DC actively chose to send one person out to play Ben Bender and leave other people inside to cover crosses because they knew Ben couldn't take on a player. And he's a young man, we have talked about this before, that this is a place he's gonna have to develop if he wants to continue to play on that right wing. He has to be able to take on one guy. Wingers in any league would look at the space that was left by DC United for him to take on one guy and they would be drooling. It was wide open and it was so obvious and it was so clear. DC did not even respect the threat of Ben Bender being able to take on and dribble a player in this. And the one or two times he kind of tried he went down the line both times unsuccessfully. He got muscled off the ball. I don't even think he got a corner out of either one of them. I don't know if he's just decided he's not going to cut inside on his left. I, I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing with Ben Bender. I think he's got the technical skill in his boots. I don't even think he's particularly slow. I think there's some sort of mental block in his brain that says, maybe I can't win this, and so I won't do it. And I I cannot express to Ben or to the fans how much I want to see him because I know he's got the technical skill. Whether he has the, the, the mentality to just go in and attack a player, I don't know. But I know he has the technical skill to go in and make people look foolish. We see it when he dribbles by people in the midfield. Why he can't attack that one player on the wing, I don't know, but it needs to change because DC ignored him. They left him over there alone with one guy and just ignored that he existed. His only benefit today was in build-up, which I think he helped, but he brought no threat to that outside wing. Ewan, thoughts on Bender's performance?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost, it's kind of a cross-sport thing, um, the idea that an opposition's defensive setup will kind of tell you about your team uh, mm-hmm. in a very honest way. And if we're taking anything from the way uh, DC set up, tonight, like you mentioned, just leaving him out there on that island and saying, you know, this is the bet we're willing to make, that we're pretty comfortable with him being on that island 1v1 and we don't think he's going to cause much threat. And, you know, they ended up they ended up being a pretty good bet from their perspective because uh, it worked out for them. You mentioned there the, uh, the, the confidence aspect of it and the fact that we've seen him play with a little bit more confidence in midfield and, and take on players and, and why can't he translate that to uh, his new position? And I, um, I wonder, because cause we floated, I think it was uh, about sort of 10 days ago, uh, the idea that the wingers in this new position. There's an emphasis on ball retention. Uh, we don't want to lose the ball out there because it's a hard area to lose the ball in the way that the transition that comes off the back of it is very harmful because everyone is really badly organised when you lose the ball in those kind of situations. And for as much as we have a plan for defensive transition, you still don't want to be having those moments happen to you. So I wonder if with the two players we've seen out wide in this, someone like Breck Diagra, who even though he's technically playing out of position, is a lot more comfortable just generally as a player, a lot more experienced, higher technical floor, everything like that. He's able to play that role, playing safe with the ball, but still be progressive versus someone like Bender who is now finally back in the starting lineup, doesn't want to give up his spot, wants to follow the the you know the orders of the manager and, and follow the tactics, that he's being overly careful because there's been an emphasis placed on something like that, that he's now just playing within a shell of himself that every time he gets the ball, it's about right, you know, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't try something and, and have a transition come off the back of it. That's something that I think may be the reason for it, which is off the back of something which I floated a couple weeks ago. ago, Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering if that is maybe what's playing on Bender's mind because yeah, it doesn't quite look right. Does it at the moment? It doesn't, it doesn't look right. I
0: think the fans, and I do think, you know, the truth is it's not the fans job to fix the players mentality. The players need to go out there and play whether there are or aren't fans as was shown by COVID. But I think the fans could probably help by, you know, really, and, getting on him in the right ways, cheering him on, even when he loses the ball, if he's going at a defender, one V one. But I think the coaches need to, to put an arm around this guy and maybe they are, and maybe the like I said, the mentality is just not there, but I really think there needs to be an arm around this guy that says you have all the technical skill in the world. You have to learn how to translate it to aggression or you're not going to succeed in attack in the MLS at this level of the league. You have to be willing to be aggressive and take chances. And if you aren't going to, I go be a defender. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: I'm I'm gonna move on. Uh we'll start to wrap this one up. Uh I, I do briefly uh want to just mention the fact that it was a very ugly cameo from Kamo Yushviak and also Kerwin Vargas. Neither one of them had the time to really turn that cameo around, but it was not a pretty cameo. Let's go ahead, and you in your final thoughts from this one, so we can take it home.
1: Uh, we're now in the officially must-win territory. Yep. <laughs> there was a bit of debate. Is tonight must-win, isn't it? I think after drawing this game nil-nil, we're now entering that territory. We're entering must-win game stage. Yep.
0: We're now into the the stage where every single game is a final again. It seems like Charlotte's really good at finding that stage. Uh, my. My final thoughts are going to be this was demoralizing and that's not what we needed going into a a playoff race. Uh, I air quoted playoff races, but it's still technically possible. I think I saw a website say we had like 14 percent. So with a little bit of uh, demoralization and a lot of games (laughs) we now need to win, we'll go ahead and finish it up there. Thank you, Ewan. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you. And if you have decided to spend your time with us, as always, we love you. Thank you so much. Uh, we will talk to you again on Wednesday when we break all of this down. Oh, I did my sign out in the wrong order. We're gonna we're gonna stick with it. We'll <laughs> talk to you again on Wednesday when we break all of this down. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast on Twitter at the underscore cast. and that's it, baby. Goodbye. QueensCityPodcastNetwork dot com.